Amen. You know, I've got a couple of transitional things here for you. So how many of you guys know, you know, during the summertime, we, we had an opportunity. Uh, we, we, we hired a new staff, a teaching pastor, uh, Stephen Hanretti. We've been really excited. How many of you have got a chance to really get to know Stephen over the last little while? He really has a heart for evangelism. And uh, he's been going through, uh, you know, he just started, he completed, you know, his, his, he's already finished his 90 days. And now he's also uh, working towards getting, you know, his um, uh, ministerial license, which he had just got. Uh, and he'll be working towards an ordination over the next little while. But what many of you don't know is also during the summertime, we also went through another process and uh, we went with Sarah Quinlan. And Sarah Quinlan has also just recently received her ministerial license. And she's, she's also working towards her, her ordination, you know, to be a pastor uh, down the road. And it's something that we've kind of seen inside of Sarah for a long time, right? I mean, she's just gifted in so many ways. She's, she's faithful. She's a hard worker. And she just loves God with such a passion that it's just, uh, you know, amazing, right? I, I just, you know, she's always... I, I, like I've known her for a long, long time. They've been really good friends of the family, her parents, uh, you know, her brother, and, and, and just the whole family we've known for a long time. And she's just always been, you know, like the first one to show up, the last one to leave, and just, you know, has a love for God, a love for people, a passion to be able to see people saved. And I've just, I've been excited anyways, you know, to really see what, what God is doing in her lives. It's been something on our minds for a while. I got a message here even from Pastor, from Pastor Rick this morning, and he want, I want to read this here for you. He says, on behalf of Ministers Network Canada, which is part of the association that we were with, she says, we are honored to have Sarah Quinlan in our ministerial. We see the genuine generational calling upon her life to preach and teach the gospel. Sarah's character, ethics, and values are what qualify her for membership, and we're honored to have the next generation leaders working together to see the gospel expand across our world today. Many blessings, Sarah. Love, Pastor Rick. Amen. Why don't you guys put your hands together? We're going to bring up Sarah Quinlan this morning as she's going to be ministering the word of the Lord to us today. You're all set. All right. Hello. Well, should we just wrap it up with that? That was pretty good. Thank you, Pastor Rick. He texted me this morning as well. Pastor Sherry, can you let me a hand for a second? I need to put this on my stand. I um, just a minute ago realized I wanted to try to do more things than I probably should do at once. So I wanted to run the slides while I was doing the message, but I, I couldn't see my notes while I'm doing that. So I said, Pastor Sherry, can I use your iPad? So now I have two iPads. Are you okay? Oh no, you're now. Okay, we're good. All right, everybody. Good morning. Yay. Well, thank you for having me, everybody. I'm, I know I don't take this opportunity lightly. I am very, very honored that Pastor Brian and Inspiration9 team would trust me to be able to come here today and deliver the Word of God to you. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. So I'm just going to set a timer because I'm going to lose it if I don't. You know what? I'm not going to do that. Okay. <laughs> so... Um, I'll, I'm just going to be like, John said there was a water bottle. Bless you, John Habib. So I, um, I was told probably three weeks ago that there was a chance that I would be giving a message today. And it was dependent on whether or not Pastor Rick would be able to do the message because he is in cast at the moment because of his foot. And I thought, 
Pastor Rick will never turn down an opportunity. He's going to be there. It's going to be fine. <laughs> so then uh, it was a Sunday night, last Sunday night, Pastor Brian texted me, well, just got word from my dad. It looks like you're going to be delivering the message on Sunday. And I said, okay, well, <laughs> here I am. <laughs> so, um, you know, at the time I had been reading in First Kings and I'm kind of a, I'm like a little bit of a history nut. Like I really like history and studying like facts about why things are the way that they are and like I can kind of get lost in that a little bit so bear with me if that happens today just smile and nod and just say you're doing great you know it's going to be fine so I have a lot of um history in this message today but I think I think it's I think it's all going to come together so I um you know I was raised in the Christian church my parents some of you may know them, Pastors Rob and Stacey Quinlan. They're wild. <laughs> and, you know, um, I laugh at them because sometimes they say that I do too much. And I laugh at them because I, I go, can we go back like 25 years to how many weekends you worked and how many, right, Mr. Price, you, you were there with us. And, um, you know, I, I look back at that time, there was whole summers when I was a child that we would go out and we would do the winter circle. Does anyone remember the winter circle? <laughs> And it would be like five parks in one day and we wouldn't get done till like four in the afternoon and you know we were all hot and gross but we all did it and it was never a question it was just okay yeah we're getting up we're gonna go to the winter circle and you know I, I really look back with fondness on those times I remember one story my mom can attest to this where we lived in Woodsley shout out to the Woodsley clan Woo, thank you that's my girl over there. We were neighbors. It's great. Um, so we lived in Woodsley, and there was a snowstorm. And everyone knows how bad Windsor is at clearing the roads. <laughs> so my parents said, we're going to leave the kids at home because it's too dangerous. And, you know, we'll let them sleep in. We'll go to church. And I was, a, I was, a, I was okay. I was old enough. But I got so angry with my mom that she left me there. I was like, Mom, I need to be at church. Like, why would you just leave me there? And so I called my Aunt Jo, who lived in Bell River. <laughs> she came and got me and brought me to church. And I went up to my mom. I said, you left me there. I was asleep and you were gone. And she said, well, Sarah, the roads were really bad. I'm like, I don't care, mother. Like, <laughs> and I remember this. I probably was like 10 or 11. But I remember taking a real ownership for what I was doing at the church. And I, I was a child at the time. And... I remember being there with my parents, like Pastor Brian said, we were the first ones there, we were the last ones to leave, you know, everything was clean when we left, and I remember taking an ownership for, for the church and for what I, um, what I was passionate about and what I loved, and I look at that today, and I feel the same way today, and it's, it's almost come to a fault where if, if someone says something negative about my church, I just go... Oh, okay, like if that's your opinion, that's fine. But <laughs> you know, I, I'm very protective of the things that I love. And the church is something that I'm very passionate about and I love. And so being able to be here today makes me very happy because this is a new facet of the church life that I haven't, I normally am back there <laughs> with the best team in the world. Can everybody just give a high five? I love my people. So for those, I know this is kind of side topic, but for those of you that don't know, our entire media team, besides Larry and I, is run by teenagers. And they're so intelligent, so smart, so faithful. And Wasif, sorry, Wasif. Wasif has the heart of a teen. <laughs> um, so <laughs> anyway, I'm just really grateful for them. I love them so much. 
And so today, I, I've been reading in 1 Kings, and I, I had my eyes set on three specific kings. And they all kind of walked into their time reigning with different perspectives and different actions. And so I'm kind of trying to touch today on the subject of ownership. And it doesn't have to be like ownership of the church specifically, but even just what do we have in our hands? And so I'm going to talk about King Solomon first. Now, this is my first time doing this, so bear with me. <laughs> but so the first category today is the reigning. So view this in light of historical fact and the word of God, which is really exciting because does everyone here believe that the word of God is true? Yes. And, and prophetic and living and active. Yes. It's, it's great. It's awesome. And I think I was, I was scraping my car with a gift card this morning and I was thinking, <laughs> I don't know where my scraper went. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, I don't ever read books twice. Like I love reading, but I'm only, I only read books once. But the Bible, I've never gotten bored of reading it. Like, there's always more that I'm learning. And this specific story, these three stories, is um, very, like, it, it just hammered in the nail with what I'm thinking. So, the reigning. So, the first one we have is the reigning of the wise, which I already kind of told you guys was about King Solomon. Now, King Solomon is, I, I knew a few things about him coming into this. We, we see King Solomon to be the king that... Um, when God approaches him and says, what do you, what do you want? And he says, wisdom. Yes, thank you. So <laughs> with King Solomon, you know, and God rewards him with that. And he says, because you asked for wisdom and not for long life and all of these things, I will give you wisdom and wealth. And, and he blessed Solomon. And Solomon had, as when he began his reign, had a really good, prosperous reign. You know, he rebuilt, like, he built the tabernacle, and he did all of these things, and he was actually visited by God twice, which I didn't know that. So, First Kings 2, I'm not giving it all to you today. Read your Bibles. It's wonderful. So, before Solomon stepped into um, this position of king, how many people know that his throne was tr in the process of being overtaken? Does anyone know that? By his brother, who... I was reading about it this morning. I think his name was Abijah, Pastor Brian. Yeah? Thanks. Thanks. So um, I was reading about it this morning, and um, it, it was based on birth order. And it was kind of like, it was like, there wasn't factual evidence that Abijah was supposed to be there, but he was trying. So, so, so Bathsheba intervenes, and she says, you know, you vowed when my son was born that he would be king. And, and anyways, so now he is king. But King David gives him a charge before he dies. He says, I'm going the way of the earth, which is a very special way to say, I'm dying, son. Here we go. And so he gives Solomon this. That's, that's Solomon, guys, in case you're wondering. <laughs> Thank you. So he gives Solomon a five-fold charge. And I'm, I'm not going to get into reading all of the verses about this because it's fairly chunky. But in 1 Kings 2, we see the five challenge or the five things that he tells Solomon to do um, as he's walking into this kingship. And so the first one is, be strong and show yourself a man, which I love. That's a good one. The second one, keep the charge of the Lord your God. So when we, when we see that, keep the charge, keep the precepts, we're talking about the word of God. Keep the word of God at the forefront of your mind. Do what it says. Three, deal with Joab. So I kind of like this because it's Again, there's so many things. I told Pastor Sherry, I said, is it okay if I say, like, there's more to this, but I'm not going to get into it. 
And she said yes. So Joab was the commander. And so he came in and he was around during the whole Uriah the Hittite drama that happened. And so um, Joab um, wasn't dealt with, with, with what was going on because he was, King David was party to the sin, that action that happened with Uriah the Hittite and how he put Uriah at the front line. So King Joab was commander at the time. So he told Solomon to deal with him. So he basically said, do not let him die a peaceful death. So yeah, that's great. <laughs> Number four, show kindness to the sons of Barzillai the Gileadite. So um, what this person did was when Absalom tried to overthrow King David, um, these people showed him sanctuary. So he said, show kindness to this family. So Solomon said, okay. And the last one was to deal with Shammai. So I, I, that's the one that I didn't get to go super deep into, but basically this guy did a wrong to the king during the whole Absalom drama. And then, the, and then King David said, you're forgiven. But now he's telling Solomon again, the same thing he said to Joab, do not let him die a peaceful death. So Pastor Rick, we'll talk more about that after. <laughs> okay, so the first thing... Um, the first thing that King David says to King Solomon before he steps into this is this fivefold charge. And it's pretty cut and dry, you know. So we've got in 1 Kings 2, 3 to 4, it says, why, like, why should he keep the charge? And this is what the word says. That you may prosper in all that you do. And what, oh, hold on. I'm going to read it from my notes. Because it always stresses me out when the pastors read the screen. So I'm going to read it from my notes. <laughs> that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. That the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me, King David saying, if your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all of their heart and with all of their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So just so you know, all of these verses are in New King James. Just so you know, I didn't, I didn't label it, but that's where it is. So we, we see this, you know, um, you look back time and time again that the Lord had promised King David that his line will be protected as rule over Israel if he follows these ways. And I think that's why King David had given Solomon these, this charge to say, you know, if you want to start your rule in a good way, figure these things out. These are the five things that you need to sort before you can be king. And so the, the cool thing that I was reading through Pastor Sherry's Dake's Bible this week, and when we see this verse in 1 Kings 11, it says, um, I'm not going to get into that verse, but it says, um, Basically, God is, God is saying, oh wait, I didn't even click it. Sorry, guys. Wow. <laughs> because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chamas, oh, look at what I'm doing, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes, and keep my statutes and my judgments, as did his father David. So that verse I was reading through in the Dakes Bible, and then beside it, it said, King David was the standard by which the other kings were judged. So it's really cool. So we see this, this legacy effect kind of happening. And legacy is a piece of what I'm going to be touching on today. Um, but it's really interesting. I, I think that anytime it says you didn't follow the ways of the Lord as your father David did. And I think that's really powerful, but also kind of haunting. Like, talk about big shoes, right? But King David was never one that came, if, if, you, if you know the story of King David, he never came at things saying, I'm a perfect man, right? He was the one that was like, created me a clean heart, I'm a broken man, Lord, I'm sorry, like, you know. But the whole thing was that he had a heart after God, that his heart was hungry for God. He did mess up, like, he, he sinned a lot, and we see a lot of it, 
but he made things right. He repented. He had a heart that was for God, and that's the thing that we see, and I think that's what separates King David from these people. And so, as I was going through this, you know, not trying to get lost in the history of it, but trying to see how can this relate to me? How can this relate to this moment and today? And King Solomon was given instruction. And what's the word of God to us? Instruction, right? And we've got it all. We've got the same precepts. We probably have more than they did back then because of the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and it's really cool. And, you know, we're, we're given this gift. We've got the Holy Spirit as our guide, and we've got the word of God as our precepts. So we're coming into this, into our life. You know, we don't have to worry about these two guys to kill. But beside that, the charge is very, very similar. Be strong and show yourself a man or a woman. You know, be strong. Keep the charge of the Lord. And then it says to show kindness, but, you know. But those, that's the charge coming into, into our lives and into salvation. And um, I, I think it's, it's an easy thing to say, like, oh, Solomon, be strong. Like, just be strong. But when you're given this opportunity to reign and to rule and to take this kingdom that was so mighty and powerful and it was like the kingdom of God, essentially, and then you have the tabernacle and you have the altar, you have all of these things at your fingertips, it's, okay, now putting myself in Solomon's shoes, what do I do next, right? My dad has died. And so Solomon does the right things right away. He goes and he takes care of Joab and he takes care of Shammai and then he's takes care of his brother. <laughs> Read it. It's great. Um, but then he has this moment with God. And then we all know what happens, but I'll read it for you anyways. Oh, I don't have it on here. Okay. So Solomon said, um, God, God approached Solomon in a dream and said, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in truth in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not, I do not know how to go out or how to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? And then it said, God, God said, because you have asked this thing. You know, we kind of talked about that at the beginning. But that line that he says at the end there, give me an understanding heart to judge what is good and what is evil. And if you've read through First Kings, you know, you read, you read it and it's king, 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 king so-and-so did this, king so-and-so did this. And, that, and that's kind of why I've always just kind of like skimmed but reading through it this time, you, you see the king's name. So whether it's King Zimri, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. King Josiah, he did what was good in the sight of the Lord. King Ahab did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, did what was good in the sight of the Lord. So these kings in this book, they're judged based off of whether or not they did what was good or what was evil. And so that's kind of the line that I'm coming off of today. So... King Solomon's reign, he did what was good in the sight of the Lord. But things change for King Solomon. So we're going to put a pause on King Solomon, and we're going to go talk about another guy, which I love. I, I don't love him. I like talking about it. <laughs> so the reigning of the rebellious. So there's this man named Jeroboam, 
So after, um, how can I do this? So King Solomon made some decisions towards the end of his reign where he married a bunch of women and it was women that the Bible had specifically said, do not intermarry with these women because these women will give you, um, there will be idols and there will be gods and people that will come in that will turn your heart away from me. And it was specific and it was a precept and it was said. And what does he do? He marries like a ton. Like I have the numbers later, but it's so many. Like why? <laughs> so many women. <laughs> like, I've, anyway. And so um, God actually says by way of a prophet to King Solomon, um, you're going to lose your throne to your servant, Jeroboam. And then the prophet goes to Jeroboam and says the same thing. You're, you're going to be king bef- um, in place of King Solomon. So who is Jeroboam? This is cool. So Jeroboam, that's him right there. See? That's Jeroboam. So he was, he was a servant, but what he was, what his job was, was he was the labor force manager. So the first verse that we get about Jeroboam in this scenario is in 1 Kings eleven twenty-seven to 39. This is the first one, and it says, And this is what caused him to rebel against the king. Solomon had built the Milo, Milo and repaired the damages to the city of David, his father. So that was like the first thing. This is what caused him to rebel. So before he had any type of rule, before he had any type of like actual, like, like he was in authority, but before he was on the throne, he was in rebellion. His heart was already in rebellion towards King Solomon. And I looked into this a little bit because, because he was the labor force manager, he believed that what King Solomon was doing was putting too much force on the people. And so he was mad. And he got rebellious towards King Solomon. So I think it's interesting because it wasn't like what he was doing, what King Solomon was doing was wrong. But it was putting pressure on the people around him that made Jeroboam angry. And so I was thinking about this, and Pastor Brian and I were talking through this, about if you're in a position where you're around someone who's a builder. And when I say builder, I mean, like, I'm going to use Pastor Brian as an example. He's a builder. (laughs) He's always looking for the newest way to do things. The the most, like, let's work smart, not hard, right? Like, Pastor Brian's always thinking about new ways to, to make things better and improve things. But not only that, but let's talk about our youth, for example. You know, he doesn't want them just to come and sit on Friday nights. He wants them to be trained. He wants them to learn instruments. He wants them to learn creative arts. He wants them to be, because he believes in them, and he believes in the next generation. Amen? But Pastor Brian's a builder, and I think he agrees with me on this. Yeah. Pastor Sherry? Yeah. But sometimes it can be difficult to serve beside a builder. Pastor Sherry? Why, though? Not because what he's doing is wrong. Not because what, what he's doing is like, you know, he's not telling us, servant, you go, you do this. No, he's giving us the vision. He's telling us why he believes this needs to happen. And we are, you know, if our heart's in the right place, understand the vision, pick it up and run, right? Because he believes in us as builders. But for Jeroboam, he got mad. He got mad because he was looking at all the people working all this time you know, and Solomon was just trying to fortify the city. He wasn't really doing anything wrong, but he was building and Jeroboam wasn't happy with that. So he got rebellious. So I think when you look at that and when you look in our own lives, 
you know, if we're around people that are building, if we're around people that are casting the vision, where are we? What are our hearts doing? Because it's a, it's a challenge to be around someone that, that wants greater and wants more. And, you know, I, I always say, like, I don't want to do the same thing that we've been doing. I want to try new things. And one is because I cannot do mediocrity. I cannot do the same or monotony. Like, if it's the same thing every single day, I will be leaving. <laughs> like, this is too much. I need change, right? But also, it's because times are changing. You know, the culture's changing. The people are changing. If we're always going to stay in one place, we're never going to grow. Amen? And so when we look at Jeroboam, we see him, rebellious man. But the thing that Jeroboam had on his side was that he was a leader. The man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, made him officer over all of the labor force of the house of Joseph. So Jeroboam had pull. He had authority. And he had a rebellious heart. So that's a dangerous combination. Because if there's a, someone in leadership who's rebellious, what are the people going to be? Rebellious, right? So um, I read this in one commentary. It says the reason Jeroboam was rebellious or angry towards Solomon was due to the forced labor that rebuilding the fortification placed on the people. He didn't receive the entire kingdom, just 10 pieces of it, because God promised one piece for David, one piece for Jerusalem. Oh, I didn't talk about this yet. So when Jeroboam got the prophecy from, I think his name was Ahijah, A-H-I-J-A-H, pronounce it as you will. He put a robe on him, and then he tore the robe into 12 pieces. And he said, these 10 pieces of the kingdom are yours, Jeroboam. And these two pieces, one is for David, because I promised, God promised this to David. And one is for Jerusalem, because that is my land. And so Jeroboam didn't get the entire kingdom. He got 10, 10 pieces of it <laughs> out of 12. So um, when we read in... If you, do I have this verse in here? No. So the, there was this verse I saw in First Kings. It says, talking about a different king, King Rehoboam, who was in charge of the revenue, but all Israel stoned him with stones and he died. So King Rehoboam is dead, but we're, it's okay. We're not talking about him. Then Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. And then it says after that, so Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And then we read the next verse. Now, it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back, they sent for him and called him to the congregation and made him king. So, when they saw an opportunity, there was no king in charge. They saw an opportunity to make somebody king. And at the time, Jeroboam, I, I, I know I'm kind of jumping around, but Jeroboam had went into hiding. Because when King Solomon heard that Jeroboam was going to take over, he sought after him to kill him. And so... Jeroboam is scared for his life and he runs to Egypt to hide but then he comes back after Solomon dies and then the people say he's back he's king and right before that we read the people were in rebellion so I think I don't think that's coincidental I, I find it kind of interesting so Pastor Sherry is agreeing with me so that's a good sign I said to her can you give me like a safe word if I do something like really really bad <laughs> and she's like I'll just be like hey <laughs> so the people who were found in rebellion, um, or the people were found in rebellion. So these people had been oppressed by the thumb of Rehoboam, who was the king before Jeroboam. It's, I know it's a lot. But basically this king was given an opportunity. I'm not going to get into this, but this king was given an opportunity to lighten the burdens on the people. 
And he said to his elder council, what should I do? And the elder council said, be a servant to the people, love the people, reduce the burden. And then he went and he went to the younger council and he said, what should I do? And the younger council said, say to them, I'm paraphrasing, my father's pinky, wait, my waist is bigger than my father's pinky. Wait, other way around. My father's pinky, Heavens, I should have written it down. My pinky will be bigger than my father's waist. And my father beat you with scourges. I will beat you with scorpions. Okay, he agrees. So, um, so oppression, he put oppression on them. So after Rehoboam, the people were mad. They were oppressed. They were rebellious. They're like, we just want a king who is for us. And I think at the time they thought that would be Jeroboam. Okay, everyone with me? Okay, so, so Jeroboam, you know, we already touched on rebellion, and, and this is something that really, really, really bothers me, and I think it's because I was raised in, in a place of um, being, like, like I, I've been here from, like, the ground up. Like, I was just a tiny little seedling, and Pastor Luke and Christine were there, and Pastor Hallie and Marsha, and Brian, Brian was a teenager, but I was around, you know, and I picked up the vision from a really young age about what it means to serve in the church, what it means to have a heart after God. And so I know the word. I know what's got to happen. So when I see people struggle with this oppression of rebellion, it bothers me. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I have a hard time with it. Like, I don't feel merciful. I feel angry, and I'm sorry. <laughs> but it bothers me because I go, don't you see, like, this is a deception that's on you. Like, don't you see what, what's happening here? Like, God has casted this vision for us to advance the kingdom of God. And if you have leaders in place, hopefully this is okay. If you have leaders in place that are doing what's, what's written here in the word of God, and they're doing everything right, and yet you continue to rebel, like, don't you see how stifling that is for your own personal growth put aside the church like well don't but it's you you're holding yourself back because you've got this issue and so when I see this rebellion I can see how easy it creeps in because I don't think Jeroboam was wrong in wanting to be on the people's side but he didn't have an understanding of the vision do you understand and so for me I you know I have to say I, I had a moment of this where I checked my heart this week I'll tell you what I did <laughs> So every, every Saturday, I always post the, um, this, this image is called the bumper. So I always post it on Facebook the night before. I said, everybody come to church tomorrow. Pastor Brian and Sherry are preaching or, you know, whoever is preaching. And so Pastor Brian said, when you post that, I want you to say Sarah Quinlan is preaching. And I told him, I have no intention on doing that. <laughs> because... <laughs> But I did it, so hold on, let me, let me tell you what happened. I said, I don't wanna do that because I don't want, I had this fear that if I posted that, my, I, that he wasn't preaching and Pastor Sherry wasn't preaching, nobody would come to church. <laughs> so I said, no, I don't wanna do that. And he said, no, like I'd really like you to do it. And so I had this conflict on Saturday morning, typing it out and I go, please join us for the word of God tomorrow morning at church. And then I took a minute and I said, Sarah, <laughs> what did Pastor Brian ask you to do? So then I went back and I said, Sarah Quinlan will be. So if you saw it on Facebook, it did say Sarah Quinlan. 
but it was a moment where I didn't want to do it, you know? And it's like, okay, you know, like, am I going to let my own silliness and my own mindset take away from what my pastor had asked me to do? Like, I know that's a small example, but it's the same kind of concept, right? Like, rebellion is such an easy little thing to get into your heart where it's that, and the rebellion says, I know better than you, but you're my authority, and who put him there? What does the Bible say? All kings and all leaders were put in place. All authority is put in place by God. Right? On the stream? Oh. Well, hey. <laughs> we're not going to say that my friends came to support me, but. <laughs> in the back row, people. Okay, so now we're going to go to my favorite king. How am I doing on time? I think I'm okay. We're doing good. Everybody's still awake? Bless. That was what, who was I talking to? David, David Workman. I said, I can talk for 45 minutes. He's like, yeah, but keeping their attention is the problem. And I said, he keeps me humble. <laughs> the reigning of the good. Okay, now this is my boy. So King Asa, this is my boy. I love him so much. So he's the first king. So uh, I can't get into all this. But basically, what happens after Jeroboam, I think it was Jeroboam, the kingdom, uh oh, <coughs> excuse me, the kingdom splits. So we have Israel and we have Judah. And now there are two kings reigning at the same time. But it's all bad. It's all broken. There's war. There's chaos. It's not good. It's not what God intended. Because these kings had come and it said they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, right? So we've got a broken kingdom now. But we've got this boy, that's him. Can you see his silhouette? I tried to make him the most attractive looking one. <laughs> we got this boy, King Asa, right? So he comes in and he just goes to work. So you can read about this in Second Chronicles or in First Kings. First line, Asa did what was good and right in the, sight of the, in the eyes of the Lord his God. And then I'm going to tell you the things he did. He removed the altars of foreign gods broke down sacred pillars, and cut down wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment, which is the word of God. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was quiet under him. So what was there finally, all this time? Peace, right? God says, hey, if you do what's right in, the, in my sight, if you do what I ask, the kingdom will be at peace. And I have a funny line in here that my friend always says to me, it's almost like, <laughs> I can do it. It's almost like there's consequences for your actions. <laughs> you don't have what, you don't do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. You don't have peace. You do what God says. What do you have? Wow. Amazing. <laughs> so King Asa comes in and even says in first Kings. Now this part, I couldn't find out biblically what was most accurate. So it either said that he stepped down his mother from the position of queen mother because she was bringing idols into the kingdom. It was either his mother or his grandmother. So the King James Version says mother. So I feel like it's his mother. But the New King James Version says grandmother. So I don't know. But we'll see. So anyway, it was a woman that was in his life that was a big part of his life that he removed. She was an authority and he took her out because she was bringing in bad things. So we love King Asa. He knows what's going on. He knows what needs to happen. He even goes on to say 
um, he, um, he fortified the cities in Judah, for the land had rest, and he had no war in those years, because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said to Judah, let us build these cities and make walls around them, the towers, the gates, the bars, while the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built, and they prospered. I had this whole verse, and I didn't even give it to you guys. So they built, and they prospered. So King Asa comes in, and he's ready to go. He's happy. He's excited. But the thing I love about King Asa, when we follow what we just read about King, Jer King Jeroboam, was Jeroboam didn't want to do what was, he didn't want to build. He didn't want to do what the vision of Solomon was. He just wanted the people to be okay, right? Asa, he didn't care. He's like, no, we have peace. We have rest. Excuse me, sorry. <coughs> We're going to build. And that's what he did. And the people found rest because of it. And I think, I think the difference between Jeroboam and Asa was Asa casted the vision. And Asa knew what was right. And he said that he commanded the people of Judah to read the commandments of, the God, of God, right? Jeroboam didn't do that. Jeroboam didn't command anybody to read anything. He just said, no, Solomon, no, I don't like what you're doing. <laughs> so it's cool. I love reading about King Asa, but um, what did I write here? Okay, yeah. So, so there's four kings before King Asa. So there's King Solomon, King, or King David, who is good, King Solomon, King Jeroboam, no, sorry, King Rehoboam, and then King Jeroboam. Oh, no, and then there's another guy, something, King something. And then there's King Asa. And all of them, except for King David, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then here comes King Asa. And he goes, yeah, no, I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to reset the kingdom that God has given us. And it's all going to go great. And it's going to be awesome. And I was, I was trying to do like a timeline to see what was the time period difference between King Asa and King David. If my sources of Google are right, which they're probably not, 57 years ish, but I don't think that's right. So, um, but what he did was he did new things and the people found rest. And so we love this about King Asa. And it's actually interesting because King Asa's father, Abijah, that was the king before him. It says that he had done much evil in God's sight and he only ruled for three years. And Asa's grandfather was Rehoboam, the king that said about the pinky and the waist right? Um, so there was so much that was going on in this kingdom, so much evil, so much chaos, so much war. And then King Asa came in and said, you know what, let's, let's go back. Let's do what God had asked us to do from the beginning and see it, what changes. And then everything changes, right? <clears throat> Sorry. Okay, so now we're going into the other half of things. So the first half was called the reigning. So we kind of talked about the kings and what they were doing and where they were at. And now we have the forgetting, and so what had happened at this point between each one of these kings and why this stood out to me today was because, you know, we're given things in our lives to, to care for, to hold on to, whether it's your family, your career, your talent, your church, your community. You know, we all have things in our hands. And I was looking at these kings and I was looking at the things that they were holding in their hands and what things that did they have that they shouldn't have been holding on to. Or what things did they, should they have let go of and given to God, right? And so coming into this, the forgetting, we see the kings each forget something really important, in my opinion, causes their downfall. 
and even King Asa, which is really sad because we love him. So Solomon, he forgets his charge. He was given that five-fold charge by King David at the beginning, and he forgets it. It says, do I have the reference here? Let's see. Yes, awesome. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and the Hittites. The boy liked women <laughs> from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry, nor they with you. Surely they will turn your heart after their own gods. And then the verse after this that hits me in my gut. Solomon clung to these in love. Yuck. And he had 700 wives, <laughs> princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. And then Solomon builds a high place for these gods and does all of these things. But the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. I feel like it's like, he should not go after other gods. Like, Solomon, come on. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, this is the, the kicker. Because you have done this and not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear away the kingdom from you and give it to your servant, Jeroboam. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son, Rehoboam. <laughs> However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So we talked about that. The ten tribes that were split off of the rope, 10 were to Jeroboam, and then two were to Jerusalem and King David. And so, oh, whoops, I'm jumping the gun. So we read this, and it's like, it's like heart-wrenching for me to see this, because Solomon did so many things that were pleasing in the sight of the Lord. He says, I'm, I'm happy with my servant Solomon. He did all of these things. You can read back, and it was years and years and years and years of serving God and, and doing things for the tabernacle and building up a safe place for the altar, and it's all of this stuff. And then the thing he said was, do not intermarry with these women. And then he does it, you know? And then it ruins everything, and Solomon loses his throne over this. So much so that it says that dreaded line, Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he became, I had this spreadsheet on my computer about the kings, and it was yellow kings were unknown if they did good or bad. And then red was bad and green was good. And Solomon was in red. And I was devastated because <laughs> I'm like, Solomon, you know, you'd asked for wisdom. You would ask for an understanding heart. And here it says, if you marry these women, your heart's going to turn. And then you follow and it says his heart had turned. Oh my gosh, I only have three minutes left. Shoot, Pastor Brian. So Solomon's heart turned. Can I do this quickly? Solomon's heart turned to God. And then you can read in the King Dakes, it says, it says that his heart wasn't loyal anymore. And loyal translates to um, be at peace. And his heart wasn't at peace with God anymore. So Solomon did the bad thing. 
Jeroboam, I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> this is my first day. Jeroboam, he forgot the sacred things. He made, it says that Jeroboam's downfall was that he made everybody a priest. He made every single person a priest. And that was his downfall, was that he forgot the things that were supposed to be sacred. That's all I have to say about Jeroboam. <laughs> I'm sorry. I really want to talk about King Asa one more time. Okay, so King Asa, I'm going to paraphrase this. I really apologize, everybody. King Asa. So King Asa comes in and he has this moment where the Cushites are trying to attack his kingdom. And he goes, God, I know that you can do this. I know that you can deliver me from these people. And he does. And it says that he wiped out these people so much so that they could not recover. So however many people died, he killed them all. He did a good thing. And then we cut back to a few years later and he's under attack again. And he finds out that a city is building, uh, building fortification against King Asa and he panics and he doesn't go to God. What does he do? He goes to somebody else and he builds a treaty with them. And it was a bad treaty. It says the treaty was wrong and he loses that. And then he becomes angry and he becomes oppressed and then he gets a foot disease and he dies. <laughs> but the thing about King Asa and the whole thing, I really, this is why I'm sad because I wanted so much, but King Asa, I feel like I see myself so much in King Asa that we see things that come into our lives that we freak out about. And you know, um, like the last few weeks ago, someone broke into my car and it ruined my whole life. <laughs> it was horrible. And I didn't have a window in my car for a while. Thank you, Larry and Jeff Hansen. And I didn't have a window and it ruined everything. And it was like, Sarah, do you forget that this car was a gift? Do you forget all the times before that I've come through for you? You know, you think this is going wrong and this is going wrong and you're failing at this and you're doing this. But have you forgotten that I have provided you with a place to live, with people surrounding you. I've given you a great job that is at a place that you love. It's like, have you forgotten? And with King Asa, he forgot. He forgot the miracle. He forgot that God had come through for him, not just once, but time and time again. And so I know that I'm rushing the ending, and I'm really sorry about that. Um, but I just want to leave you with this today is, what have we forgotten that have st has stopped us from coming into this place of serving God and reigning alongside of him? What are the things that he had promised us from the beginning that he told us to do that we've let slip through our fingers? And it's so easy, it's so simple. You know, there's so many times where I find myself stuck in that, where I, f I forget to read the Bible one day and then I'm like, why am I irritated? Why am I mad? It's like, Sarah, you're forgetting. And when it comes down to what we're doing and what we're, what we're doing with the things that are in our hands, we're taking personal responsibility. You know, there's this quote, I'm just gonna say in closing, guys, I apologize. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says, we have learned rather too late that action comes not from thought, but for a readiness of responsibility. So today, if I leave, if I leave you of all of this craziness that I said today, if there's anything that I can leave with you, for your heart, it's that you hold on to what you're supposed to hold on to, and you do it with all of your heart. You hold on to the word, you hold on to the precepts and to the things that God has charged us with. And the things that we can't control, the people that are coming to storm our kingdom, the, the rebelliousness, the division, anything, we let it go. Because when it comes down to things, God is for us, not against us, his word says. And he says that if you keep my precepts, that I'll be there with you. And it's such an easy thing, but I just really hope that today that you can, you can let that seep into your heart. If you guys can just stand with me in closing.
I know I'm over. Oh, look at that. I thank you, God, today that the word that you have for us and, and the things that you have for us, Lord, I thank you that it will lead us to be greater, not, not for our own reputation, not for who we are individually, but because we want to see your face reflected in the mirror. We want to be your hands. We want to be your feet. And I thank you for giving us these examples of these men that have served and they've fallen and they got back up and they fell. Lord, I thank you, God, that when the time comes for us to stand before you, that you will say to us that we did what was right in the sight of the Lord. I thank you for this opportunity to take inventory of our hearts today, Lord, and that whatever we do, whatever we reflect upon as we go about our day, that it will be pleasing to your sight. And I thank you for being able to have this privilege, this opportunity to serve you in this day and serve you in this hour. And I thank you for all that you have for us and that you will use us to be your hands and feet. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well. I honestly thought I had it till 11.45 because he told me I had 45 minutes. So it was stuck in my head 11.45. But anyways, we wish you the best day of your life. Thank you for joining us. If you're here with us on live stream, we, we hope that you have the best Sunday ever. And we'll see you tomorrow morning at the Lighthouse. Or tomorrow at 6.30 at the Lighthouse. You all ready for the post show today? I'm ready. This is kind of like uh, one of them game shows. Remember the uh, in the 80s they used or 90s? Maybe it was the 90s. Mm. Uh, they used to have that game show where you used to have to guess the occupation of the guy, and then the <laughs> real guy would have to stand up. So today is kind of like, will the Con real Pastor Brian please will stand up? Will the real Pastor Brian please stand up? <laughs> and then they go like that. And we got two Pastor Brians here. For those yes. of you who don't realize that. You know, it's like, and we've got this new set, so it's almost like we yeah. can like spin around everywhere, you know, on the new set today, right? I'm looking up, down, it's kind of cool, but anyways, it was exciting yeah. today to have uh, Sarah Quinlan deliver the word of yes. the Lord to us today. Yes, it was. She did a great job. Um, mm -hmm. There's so much that you could unpack in all of that. Um, you know, mm -hmm. in my mind, I was just writing, because um, there's so many things that she just talked about in scripture that starts highlighting things yep and you know it's kind of what it is if we're reading our bible things come alive and they just start to uh really kind of come to light for us uh you know one of the things that i really thought was interesting that she talked at in the introduction about history mm -hmm. and the very culture of uh of the day you know, especially this uh, extremist trying to, it, to trying it, eliminate history. Eliminate history. Or change it. Or change or, it. Or rewrite it. it. Yep. Yeah. Which is, if we don't, I guess when you look and put it all in perspective, if we don't understand that, first of all, history's a lesson for instruction, but also the importance of returning to the ways of God mm -hmm. throughout the history of the Israel kings, we're really missing something in history. Yeah, I, I I love the title. It says you know, in the sight of the Lord, yes. is is kind of the reference of that, and and always it went back to when almost every king, you know, if they did right in the sight of the Lord, it'd always say as their father David did, and then and then it always would go if they had did evil in the sight of the Lord, they said after Jeroboam, Jeroboam the son of Nabat, who caused Israel to sin, and I always just remember I'm like man what a reputation you know that both of those two men had Not one on you know encouraging people to do what was right but the other one every time someone did wrong it was like after jeroboam the son of nabat 
that who caused Israel to sin. Yeah. And I'm just like, that is just not the reputation that I want to have. Not the legacy you want to leave. Not the legacy you yes, want to leave. For sure. And uh, so that was the one that that was one thing that kind of stood out over and over again was the you know that transferring you know what was right in the sight of the Lord from generation to generation. And uh, I, I thought that was something that you know kind of stood out and i did like she just kind of tied in at the very very end there i don't know if you, you picked it up but she said one of the main things that jeroboam did was he actually took that which was sacred and he made it common yeah and and basically what he did is it says that he made everybody a priest and when you do that you're taking away right that which god has made as a sacred thing and and it made it common for for every for everybody which is which, you know, like could lead into the New Testament. Yeah. So I'm going to do the Pastor Dave thing here. Pastor Dave. So right. if you put that in the New Testament perspective, isn't mm -hmm. that what Jesus kind of taught us? We're all us? priests. We're all supposed to be disciples. We're yep. all supposed to be teaching and preaching and, and, and just uh, mm -hmm. demonstrating the Word of God to all those around us, aren't we? Well, and, and there's a part of that, right, where we are all called to minister the Word of the Lord. We are yes. all to have a personal relationship with Christ. But we're also have, you know, for instance, the fivefold ministry, yeah. which Christ has appointed for the edification of the church, right? Which is, yeah. you know, where there's sacred levels, right, of, of, of callings, I guess, upon people's lives, even though we're all called to be able to do things yes right we're not all you know we're not all a, a pastor you know we're not all a prophet right where there's there's different things that are, are kind of broken out into what you're to what you're to do which pastor brian's a pastor right right but i'm and, not the lead pastor but you're, you're not the, the, but you're not the, so lead. the vision yeah. of the house obviously is going to flow through yourself and pastor sherry as a as the lead god yep. is going to speak to the lead yeah so i could say to you i don't agree with that and mm -hmm. you know like i i thought it was really interesting how she talked about you know want not wanting to post her name and it's it sounds mm -hmm. really simple but it's interesting because it's kind of the way rebellion creeps in yeah it's right the little things and, and, it, and it really hits into our what we believe mm -hmm. to be true about ourselves but also about our assignment but i think when when you really unpack all that the way she hit the rebellious uh when she described rebellion and how it was affected there was so many things that were i was jotting down there you know mm -hmm. rebellion basically will pop up when our beliefs are challenged right when our abilities are challenged or when we feel stretched mm -hmm. our natural defense might be in the way of rebellion yeah yeah, it's 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 like you never even really realize it until something gets tested. Yes. Like I can have a great relationship with you until the moment I have a disagreement. Yeah. But then at that disagreement, do I really choose to honor you still, or do I now do my own thing because I don't agree with you anymore? You know? Which is where uh, basically, you know, if you look at uh, the, you know, in Hebrews it talks about the word of God has become uh, not Hebrews. Uh, sorry, I wrote it down here. Mark talks about. The word of God has become no effect because traditions of man, which is, you know, it, it, it's our interpretation of the word of God. But what is that whole scripture is talking about is disrespect and dishonor towards mm -hmm. parents mm -hmm. before that, prior to it. So what he says is, I just go and do what I want because I don't want to honor those that are placed in authority above me. Mm -hmm. And I'll just... I'll interpret it my way and do the way I feel comfortable doing it. Yeah, which is not usually the way God works. No, no. I mean, I said it. If there's anything I've learned, God's going to make me uncomfortable. <laughs> and and I think that was the the other part that she was saying is is that you know there was that ownership within yes. 
um, you know, the way that even from a she young age. She did a good age, job starting that out just like that. She established, yes. she goes, you know, you know, it was nothing to think about the fact that, hey, I'm out all day with my parents serving in the kingdom of God. And I, I think that's kind of even one of the things that I see a lot nowadays is that there's a lot of this trying to like, you know, people try to separate out their relationship with God, their their relationship with their family and, and, and all, or even and in the relationship with their church. But, but they fail to realize they're all intertwined together. Yes. You know, like it's, it's God is first place in my life, which means that it's going to be first place in my family, as well as in the body of Christ, which is my church, which they're all interlinked together. And you can't really separate those things out. No. And I think that's what she learned, right? It's just like, I'm here to serve, you know, in the kingdom of God, in my family, alongside, you know, my God because everything is kind of linked together. She didn't touch too much on that, but I really feel that's a, a really important point that she's you know, trying to establish. Hey, look, I, I got the ownership in the church. This is what, I, what I'm here to do. Which is, I really thought was interesting being uh, her generation, being younger. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, obviously you're younger than I am too, but um, everybody is pretty much. No, I'm, there's still older people in me. My, okay. my white hairs have not got yeah. as many as you yet. I see Larry over there in the background laughing, but that's okay. Um, my point, I guess, in all of this is uh, sometimes we need a fresh uh, look. Sometimes we need to step mm -hmm. back and look. But I think what's so, so important was that every one of the kings that did right returned to the ways of the Lord. And mm -hmm. I think right now we're, we're in a crucible as far as time and direction of where this world goes. And I think mm -hmm. God is trying to mm -hmm. tell us the message behind this message was returning to the ways of the Lord mm -hmm. is how we're going to get this thing back on track. Yeah. And, and you know what I think is so important about that is you actually have to know what God's word has to say in yes. order to be able to return to the ways of the Lord. Um, you know, a lot of things that we hear in our culture these days is my truth and all these other things. But, but really, the only truth is the word of God is truth. That's and right. it's an absolute truth in a world where there is no truth. And so I really believe that one of the things that we got to do is we got to go back to God's word. I always ask people, this is one of the easiest questions I always ask people when they come up with an opinion or a statement or a belief system. I always say, well, what does God's word have to say about it? Yeah. And, and a lot of times people don't even know what God's word has to say about what they're saying and what they believe. But I'm like, our whole life is supposed to go back to the precepts of what God teaches us and preaches to us. For sure. So for sure. I know we got about one minute left on the show today, but what is, what is your final final thought you want to wrap up with here? Well, and I think just leading right into that with the whole discipleship, with the whole uh, word of truth, sometimes we need people to even challenge us on our thoughts because I think today in this world, there's way too many opinions and not so much truth out mm -hmm. there. And being around like-minded people will challenge us and those blind spots, those areas where we may be misunderstanding or mistaking uh, interpretations of the word, uh, being in a lighthouse, being in, you know, in communion with other believers is really where we need to be. Yeah, it says, forsake not the assembling together, the believers, even as yeah. the day of the Lord approaches. And so I just want to wrap this up today and just let you be aware, if you have not listened to the message today that came out um, um, by, by Sarah Quinlan, which we're really excited about, I really encourage you to go back and take a look at that. Uh, we're going to wrap up this week. We look forward to seeing you guys as we join together in prayer to our next time. And remember, like that passion inside you and we will look forward to seeing you guys again soon.